Lead me to some soul today. Oh, teach me. Welcome, everyone, uh, to episode number 43 of a series of episodes. Uh, those that have been listening and watching, you know what we call it, Leading Others to Christ. Uh, during these episodes, we'll be focused on evangelism. And one of our goals is to stir everyone up to, uh, to try to get us um, focused again on evangelism and thinking about uh, uh, the, the area of reaching our family or friends or neighbors with the gospel of Christ. My name is Dan Barker, and I preach for the Creekside Church of Christ in Franklin, Indiana. And I've done this every time, too. I need to change this up probably sometime. But um, Franklin is about 20 miles south of uh, downtown Indianapolis to give you a, an idea of where we are. And I also serve as one of the shepherds there. For those of you that know me, you know that I'm passionate about evangelism. And I have been ever since I obeyed the gospel when I was 21 years old in, in Owensboro, Kentucky. And, and I, I really have been over the years. Anything I could find or read, anybody that I could talk to to try to learn of, of different ways and different methods of teaching uh, and to find something that, that I felt comfortable with and, and obviously would teach the truth, but to be able to use. And uh, what this all this COVID stuff, when it started, came up with this idea of, of doing what we're doing here, of trying to find those that are out there uh, that are involved in teaching others, find out who they are, where they are, how they do it, uh, and it's been just really exciting for me uh, and probably 60% of the people I've never met uh, in person yet, Lord willing, will have that chance. But, um, but what, we, what we try to do is using some Bible phrases that I've used every time too, is, is learning how to uh, teach others to teach, how to be a fisher of men, as Jesus said. Um, uh, and remembering what Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.2, and the things that you've heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And then later in that chapter, he was talking to Timothy about being useful for the master. Well, I want, I want to personally, I want to be useful for the master. And I think everyone that's listening to this podcast would, would say the same thing. Um, but anyway, we're excited today to have somebody with us that we're going to learn a lot from. So I encourage you to get out your pen and paper, not if you're driving, but you know, it, get out your pen and paper and take some notes here. Uh, but we have with us today, Bill Robinson. Welcome, Bill. Thank you, Dan. Good to be with you. Yeah, it's, uh, it's an honor for us to have you with us today. I, I was trying to thank Bill. Well, let me start with Bill and his wife, Julie. Judy work with the Perry Hill uh, Church of Christ there in Montgomery, Alabama. And uh, where'd we meet the first time? Do you remember? Was it there in Lexington? Yeah, it was in Lexington. And, uh, you know, it's interesting. The first time I remember meeting you is you came and needed to use the baptistry to baptize somebody. <laughs> okay. And right. that's when I first met you. And I, don't, right. I wish I could remember who you baptized, but that was... I, I came, I, I soon came to learn that that was going to be a common occurrence when I lived in Lexington, that you, well, either you or Dan Byers, one of the yes, two. Yes, yes, yeah, yeah, we had uh, helped start the uh, uh, the Fayette Church of Christ there, and we didn't have a baptistry for a long time, and yeah, we, and we really appreciate uh, University Heights and helping us with that, um, and we have a similar thing here in, in Franklin with the congregation, we just recently uh, moved into a, 
a new location and we've got a portable baptistry, which we haven't had. We've been using all the congregations around. So, uh, but anyway, yeah. And when you said that, I remember, I remember coming into your office there and uh, yeah. So, you know, it's really good to see you again and uh, be sure and tell Judy, we said, hi. Um, We started. She's probably listening. You know, she's my number one fan. Well, that's good. And, And my number one critic. Oh, well, see, that, that's part of her job, right? That's right. Uh, let's, uh, we start every episode out with doing this, uh, Bill, where we call it the elevator pitch or the short bio. And, and if you would, uh, tell us, uh, tell everybody where you were born and uh, how old you were uh, when you obeyed the gospel and who taught you and kind of bring us up to speed. Well, you kind of scared me there a minute. Tell everybody <laughs> where you were born and how old you were. I thought, well, Dan? Uh, <laughs> how Oh, <laughs> I was born in uh, California, Southern California, Fontana, and uh, my parents were always Christians, uh, and so I've grown up knowing the truth. I haven't always lived it and didn't always, I struggled with it for a long time, uh, high school and right out of high school, and then got my act together, and uh, as my good friend and just uh, just departed Ed Harrell would say I was a late bloomer in some ways and um, but we we lived in Southern California I grew up there and and uh, Orange County we moved to Orange County and that's where I spent the rest of my growing up and then I moved to Bakersfield California to begin preaching in 1975 I preached by appointment up until then every Sunday driving 175 miles for 35 dollars a week and had they only known, I'd have paid them that $35 to let me preach. Uh, I wanted to preach so bad. And so uh, I'd preach my sermon two or three times going up and uh, up there. And I know people on the freeway would look at me and say, what is that guy doing? And uh, But I would preach it all the way up there. And then I moved uh, four or five years later to uh, Arizona, just long enough. To, I lived there for a year, just long enough to meet uh, Judy and marry her. And Judy, of course, is a Lexington native. And uh, her dad worked for IBM. I've been moved. And so uh, that's how we met there in, in Arizona and married in that year in 1980. And then uh, we moved to Wichita Falls, Texas. Had a great work there. Wonderful time. Uh, it was a place of first for us. First place we worked. First place our kids were born. Both our children. My two, I have two daughters. One of them's in Houston, Texas, and Katie, and then another one's up in Salem, Indiana, just below you, just across the river from Louisville. Uh, Brian is a preacher, so Elise gets absolutely no sympathy from me. She knew what she was doing when she married a preacher. Uh, I have four of the greatest grandsons you could ever find. That's great. In my opinion, I know (laughs) everybody's grandkids are wonderful, and they should be. then we moved from Wichita Falls to Fort Worth, Castleberry, and lived there about five years. Didn't think I'd ever really leave there. Then my friend R.J. Stevens, whom I knew as a teenager, begged me to move to Kemp, Texas. They were struggling, and so we helped them. Moved to Greenville, Texas a few years later, and then moved to Lexington and lived there 12 and a half years, and then moved to um, Jacksonville, uh, Gardendale, Alabama. I was there about four or five years, and then moved to Jacksonville to work with my good friend, Ed Harrell, who had been after me to move. And so we were there six and a half years, and then I ended up here, and we're at Perry Hill Road. So that's sort of the thumbnail sketch, the bio. 
Uh, I told you about my dad. Uh, he was in, was in the insurance business. He was one of the greatest personal evangelists I ever knew. Uh, and I have had guys tell me, come out of the pulpit when I was just started preaching and would, would tell me about my dad. If they, they would say to me, you know, he baptized more people in Southern California than anybody I know. He would finish a deal on, a, on life insurance, Dan, and would say, okay, I've taken care of your life insurance. And he'd pull out his testament and say, now I want to talk about your soul's insurance. <laughs> and that was his line. Yes. And he baptized a lot of people. Uh, one of my favorite stories, this was as he was older. He was in his 80s. This was a year or two before he died. And this is how he ended up living with us in Lexington, where he passed away. Uh, I got a call from my mom and said, your dad, we, we're having real problems. He had been diagnosed with multiple myeloma. They had him on massive doses of uh, uh, prednisone. And uh, so it kind of, so, sort of makes you hallucinate a little bit. But anyway, I said, well, what's the deal? And he said, well, he, he, he went over across the street to the neighbor's house with a table in his hand and his Bible. And it was 11 o'clock at night. George called me and said, Bill's over here. So I had to go over and get him. So I brought him home. I brought them both home and they never left. They never went back to West Virginia again where they were living. They stayed with me. So after the prednisone wore off and he had seen a new doctor in Lexington, my dad said, how did I end up here? And so I told him, I said, well, mom called me one night and said, you had gone over to George's house with a table and your Bible. And George called and said, you know, Bill's over here and he's got a table. And so she came and got me and I said, do you remember that? And he said, yeah. He said, I remember it well. I said, well, what were you doing? He had taken a TV tray and a Bible. And he said, the last, he said, I was always determined to teach George the truth. And I'd go over there and he'd always say, well, Bill, I don't have time. Or the last time I talked to him, he said, well, Bill, he said, I really don't have a table here that we can sit down and study. And he said, so I decided I was going to take a table with me and my Bible and we're going to sit down and study. <laughs> so uh, he, he was going to be without any excuse. And yeah. he never, of course, had any luck with, with George. But Anyway, that was sort of the way he was. It didn't make any difference where he went. He he could talk to anybody. I mean, he you know, as the old saying so goes, he could sell a refrigerator to an Eskimo when it came to personal evangelism, and he was concerned about it. As I told you before we started the show, his attitude was, you can come to my house once and we're going to visit, but if you come the second time, we're going to talk about the Bible. You're not going to get away without talking about the Bible, and that's how he felt. I mean, he truly believed that. You know, uh uh, thanks for sharing this with everybody, but you know, it's just, uh, and I know you know this, but what a blessing, right? I mean, so many blessings that you've had, but, uh, grow up with mom and dad being Christians. And, uh, cause we've, we've talked about so many of the ones that we've interviewed. Uh, they did not grow up, if you will, in the church and different background and different experience, uh, in, in learning the truth. But just the just the things that you learn by being around dad that you may not even still realize that things that you've picked up from him, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, little mannerisms and comments and uh, and things like that that are just huge that that I think are so important uh, in leading others to Christ to be able to start those conversations and and uh, so that that's wonderful that uh, that that your dad was that way. Uh, how old was he yeah. when he passed? How old was he 84. when he passed? 83 or 84. I can't remember, Dan, 83 yeah. or 84. Uh, I wish I had his ability to do that really well. Like he does. I mean, I, you know, I, uh, but he just, he was such a natural at it. It was just, uh, 
And, you know, I think you make an interesting point. You say you came up, and I'm paraphrasing and ad living here a little bit, but you say you nearly came up out of the water wanting to teach people the truth. Yes. And that's, and I think in part because the same with my dad, and that is when you learn the truth from the vantage point of a lie, and I don't mean that in a bad sense against anybody. I'm just saying you're now learning the truth and you now realize you've been in error and you don't want anybody else to be in error. Whereas, and I, I don't mean this in any bad way, when, when all you've ever known is the truth, I think the thing that scares me is would I have had the courage to learn the truth had I not been raised as a Christian? So I am always thankful that, or raised in a home by Christians. So I am always thankful for that uh, because I'm not sure that I would have had the, the depth of conviction or courage to, to do that. I, I would hope that I would, but but I don't know. And I, I'm glad I don't have to find out. Well, so I, I think there is in that same sense when you read First and Second Timothy. That's Paul's point to Timothy. Quit being so timid. You've grown yes. up with this all your life. You know this. And so get out there and do it. And so I think it is a tendency for those of us who are, quote, unquote, raised in the church uh, to be a little timid about it. I mean, you know, because we've all, that's all we've ever known. Right. And so we, you know, and so sometimes it's really hard for us to figure out why people believe what they believe and why do they not see it like we see it. I mean, that's well, we grew up believing that the whole time and yes. other people did not. And Paul is the one that said, you know, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer for Israel is that they might be saved. Uh, I mean, he wanted them saved. He, he even went so far as in the, in the ninth chapter of Romans to say, you know, I could wish myself accursed for their sake if, if it would bring them, but that's not going to work. And right. so, you know, you have that sense of learning the truth from the vantage point of a lie, and it just is overwhelming to you in the sense that, wow, look what I found. And I, and I don't mean to, we've got, you know, a lot of Christians and, and good preachers and faithful Christians that were raised in the church that are very active and very sincere in serving the Lord who have always known the truth. But but it is very easy for us to take things for granted for those of us who were raised in the church. And, and well, I know that, that. I think first and second Timothy make that point. Yeah, I think so too. And I was, you said it there, I was getting ready to say it. Take, um, if you grow up with it, you take advantage of it's all you've ever known and you don't understand why everybody doesn't see it because that, you know, but uh, when you've been outside of that and, and can see from the outside looking in, boy, it's a different, you look at it with different eyes and, uh, and you're right. Even when you have this conversation, you have to be careful of how you say it, uh, because like like yourself, I mean, you grew up in the church and and uh, influence of dad and others. And, and here you are still working. And uh, and we we praise God for that. Uh, tell us. Tell, let's change just a little bit. Tell us a little bit about uh, Perry Hill Congregation. Uh, it's been around a pretty good while. Uh I, I, it used to be called Gay Meadows uh, back years and years ago, and they bought this property here. It's a great location. Uh, it's a aging congregation, so we're really pushing personal evangelism really hard here, uh, just because that's what we ought to be doing regardless of the age of the congregation. But uh, we're in a good location. Uh, we have uh, four elders. Uh the uh, congregation is about 125, I think, 130 maybe on Sunday morning. We're, okay. You know, Montgomery is um, the majority in Montgomery is black. Whites are in a minority. So our congregation makeup is um, 
20, 30%, something like, like that, black. Okay. Uh, and, you know, I live in the neighbor, I lived in the neighborhood uh, that was a nice middle class, upper middle class neighborhood. Both sides, I mean, across the street were black neighbors. I, I mean, I, the, the racial thing here is not, well, I know it's a problem. Don't misunderstand me. But we loved every one of them, and they loved us and, and uh, had good neighbors and is here in the church. Uh, my best friend, uh, one of my best friends, is, is a black uh, retired uh, teacher from Faulkner University and also served as a major in the uh, Marine Corps. And so he, he and I have become really good friends, and, and uh, I just love him dearly. And, and we spend Friday nights when before the pandemic, spent Friday nights together, he and his wife and Judy and I. And so uh, just a walking Bible is what he is and just a wonderful fellow. All right. Well, uh, you know, because I know uh, in, in talking to the different ones we've interviewed and, and you and I talked about this the other day, but uh, for example, you grew up in California. You've lived in, Te if I miss one here, you, you preached and lived in Texas. You were in Kentucky Alabama, Florida, back to Alabama now. And would you agree with me? Uh, it's a silly comment, really. But the church is the same. But look how different it is in every area. Yeah, there are certainly regional differences. I mean, yeah. there, they cannot be uh, ignored or or the, go unnoticed, I should say. Not ignored, but they just don't go unnoticed. Uh, and it's, you know, I think... Uh, People love to slam California that are from the east, and uh, but it, it is culturally there are sound churches in California, many sure. sound churches in California, really good churches, uh, and some guys doing some great work out there in a difficult place. You know, right. I, uh, we most of us know Royce Bell, who is at San Bernardino. Uh, that's the church where my dad uh, lived, and that's not that's where we attended when I was born in Fontana. And we had some really close relationships there. That's where I first started preaching for RJ. That's I'd fill in for him. They'd call me and ask me if I'd come in and fill in when he'd go off on the meeting. Uh, I watched that congregation go down because of its location and, and that sort of thing. And then the things that they've done to build that up, Royce has done a wonderful work out there. I just hear from a lot of different people. Uh, the challenge of being there, I know where he is, is a tremendous challenge. And yet, it can be done and it's working. And so uh, I, I think about San Bernardino. I've known Royce a long time and, and um, uh, he's just done a good work out there. And so people can slam California all they want because they don't know. Uh, and I suspect that people in California probably look they're down the nose sometimes at Southern churches because it's the Bible Belt. I don't know, but sure. anyway, there are just yeah. those regional differences that happen. And, and so we have to be very careful. It is the church. And you know where you are when you go. If I go visit out in California or they come out to Alabama, they know exactly where they are when they come to church. We do the sure. same things they do. Right. So, you know, that standpoint. But there are some regional differences. And some of those differences uh, uh, gets into uh, what we've talked about with some of the others that we've interviewed of the, the approaches, uh, how they would be different. Uh, the studies, perhaps the tools that you're using uh, that might be different, just again, depending upon on the makeup of the, of the community. 
And you have to know that. You have to know that if you're there working and, and know what your environment is and know what the, uh, you know, uh, how many uh, how many folks are are there from different uh, with all the immigration and everything and some of the communities. Uh, just like there was a, there's a new mosque that just was uh, put in Greenwood, Indiana. Um, and, uh, and you don't think about that until you see things like that and see the, uh, the influence and the number of people that are coming in. So I could be seeing, I could meet somebody and talk to somebody at a restaurant or at the post office or something and say, well, Hey, nice to meet you. Where are you from originally? And find out that, well, they're from, you know, uh, they're, they're from, uh, uh, Europe or someplace over there and moved here and that's where they worship and just, so how would I approach them and all those type things? You know what I'm, what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Uh, I know one of the things that you do, and I want to talk about this because you told me a funny story the other day of, of when you started this two minutes with Bill Robinson. Um, if somebody wanted to go and listen to that, how, how do they connect to that? Uh, well, they could, there's a couple different ways. Uh, they, the easiest way is to go to perryhillchurch.org, perryhillchurch.org. And under sermons, look for two minutes. And, and then there's all the two minutes I've done. Some 225, 250 of them are all listed right there. Uh, Would so, you tell the story? Well, and I've listened to several of those, and you do a really good job with that. And it's a good tool. Uh, tell us, uh, tell everybody uh, the story you said when you started that in, in Texas and the two people on the radio that you were, that you were in between. Oh, well, the, I was telling Dan how, how I came up with the name Two Minutes for Bill Robinson. And uh, I was living in Greenville, Texas, and I was trying to do something to, to reach out to the community. You know, things are changing. I mean, again, not only just regional, but time and cultural changes. And, you know, I don't rule out anything to being done, but there are some things that we used to do years ago that don't necessarily work as well today. So anyway, I was trying to reach out something different. And so I talked to a friend of mine um, and asked him about radio. He had been familiar with radio, had done tons of radio work years and years. And so I asked him, give me a name. And he said, well, he said, I would just do two minutes with Bill Robinson. So I did a two minute radio spot between Paul Harvey and Rush Limbaugh in Greenville, Texas, and they were the only station to carry Rush Limbaugh at the time. He was just getting started. It was probably his second year, first, second year, maybe third year. He was just getting started. And then, of course, Paul Harvey was just a just an icon, and right. everybody loved to listen to Paul Harvey. And, and so you had, and Greenville was a farming community, uh, for the most part, agricultural, and so you, had, you know, the farmers would come in and lunch and they turn on their radios because radio is a companion medium. And uh, so they would turn on their radios to listen for lunch. And, and there I was. And so I had uh, I had people from all over North Texas because they were this station was the only station that carried Rush Limbaugh live. And uh, so they they would come. Uh, I mean, they would call and everything else. And I had people come from all the way over in Dallas, which is 50 miles away, just to hear me preach because they'd heard me on the radio. I had Senator Kay Bailey Hutchison. I did a thing on abortion in two minutes and her campaign manager called me and said she wanted to use it that night. Could I get that over to them if they, if they sent somebody to get it? And I said, yeah, I would give them, be glad to give them the text. Uh, 
and then this, so this thing just went over so well. Uh, one of the deacons came in one day and said, or one of the members came in one day bragging about how this was going over and he just loved it. He just couldn't wait to hear it. Blah, 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 blah. I mean, just laying it on me really heavy. And I was eating it up and he finally looked over me and said, and he said, I just want you to know it is so good. I'm going to the elders to see if we can't go to this format on Sunday morning. Huh. Two minutes. How about that? Oh, I get you. I guess. You. <laughs> oh, me. All right. All right. I shouldn't have seen that coming. I should have seen that coming. All right. Um, I, you know, our time goes by so fast, but I know uh, I know you want to talk about and I want to talk. I want to hear it. Uh, India. I know that's been a big part of your life. And if I had, I think you've been like 17 trips to do evangelism in India. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, You know, I started in Lexington when, you know, Ed used to come to the lectures and do the lectures for us. Brother Ed Harrell used to come do the lectures. And we have been friends for years. I knew him since the late middle seventies when I first started to preach. We became close friends later on. And uh, so he invited me to go with him. I wasn't sure you know, I didn't want to go sightseeing. I didn't want to go make a trip on the brethren. I told him, I said, uh, Brother Harold, I, I said, I'll go with you if you think I can be useful to you. I don't want to go just to pass the time. And he said, no, I, he can be useful. At that time, there was just Brother Harold, Brother Tom Kinzel, and the late Brother David Owen. They, those three had been going for a long time together, but the work was beginning to grow and they needed somebody else and somebody that they could depend on to go. And so I went and, and worked out well. In those first early years, it was just, so we'd go twice a year. And uh, sometimes just Brother Harold and I would go together. And uh, we start, it was the closest thing to a Jerusalem model that I know. We started in a place in South Central uh, India in a place called Hyderabad. Hyderabad is Andhra Pradesh. It's a, the land of Telugu speaking people. And we started working with Ed and those three guys had started working with just this one group. And from that group was another group established in the same city, clear across town. I mean, you know, we're talking about a huge city here. And so there was two churches, Balanagar and Mulali, that we worked with. And that's all we worked with. We bring preachers in, we'd study with them. We, our, their philosophy was teach those preachers how to teach and, and teach them the Bible. They're the ones that need to go out to the villages. They know the customs, they know the language, so on and so forth. And so we did that. From there, after two or three, four years of doing that, and they had already, as I said, been doing it for six or seven years before, uh, we decided to go to Bangalore. There was a fellow over there we wanted to talk to who had been coming to our class. And we went from Hyderabad to Bangalore. And then from Bangalore, from that point at Bangalore, a church of about nine people meeting on a rooftop is now about a hundred have their own building. And one of the reasons we pushed building buildings over there uh, is because of the caste system. We, we obviously Ed knew a lot of individuals and gave of his own money to build church buildings over there uh, because in the caste system, the untouchables, that is those who are, uh, you know, the lowest of the low and the upper caste, could not have any associations together uh, unless it was at a neutral site and a prayer hall or a church building was considered a neutral site. And so that's why we pushed for church buildings to be built over there. But it's been a great experience for me. As I said, it's, a great, it's the closest thing to a Jerusalem model I've ever seen that the word went out. I've been over 
I've seen more of India than most Indians have seen. And every time I run into one here in the States, which are, as you and I both know, there are a ton of them. Yes. Uh, you know, I can, I ask them where they're from and, and then I start talking to them about it. And they said, you've been to India. And I said, yes, it's, <laughs> I've been all over India. And so I have traveled quite extensively all over India. Well, that's great. And look how long we could talk about that. Um, yeah. uh, have you ever thought about writing a book about your experiences? Um, that's, <laughs> that's more work than I want to take on. Oh, okay. All right. Well, it's just a thought, you know. Yeah. There'd be a lot of... They, I mean, that, I, I, what I would really like to work on right now is getting some essays by different fellows on the life of Ed Harrell. Oh, I'm thinking uh, about doing that. And, and no, no, that that would be no, that'd be great. Yeah, there'd and be I, a lot. And I, yeah, and I, so I've been approached about doing that, and so I, I'm thinking about doing that. I think I would encourage you to do that. Uh, we call it the conversion story. Would you Would you share with us uh, one one story that you uh, you know that you've thought about that you'd like to share with people? Yeah, well, I lived in Lexington, and I, you may remember Dan because you you were one of the elders over fat. They were. Uh, talking about taking the word evolution out of the textbook and putting in change over time. And the local news station called me one day and asked me about what I thought about. This girl called me and asked me what I thought about it. And I said, well, I think it's really stupid. And that's what I said. And she kind of <laughs> laughed. She said, what? I said, well, what difference does it make if you call it evolution or change over time? Because evolution just means change over change time. time. Right. I said, that's all it means. I said, uh, and I believe in change over time. I just don't believe it's from one species to another. So we had a good talk. She said, can I come out and interview you? And I said, sure. She came out and interviewed me. And, you know, she brought the cameraman and everything. You know how it is. They interview you for 10 minutes. And you only get five seconds and that's fine. We ended up talking for 45 minutes with the camera rolling. And then all of a sudden she realized the camera's rolling. She said, turn it off. I just want to talk to him a minute. So we talked a little bit more. And she got ready to leave, and she said, well, I appreciate your time, and I appreciate you answering some questions. And I said, well, you're not going anywhere yet. And she said, why? And I said, it's my turn to ask you some questions. And so we began a conversation, and I asked her where she went. She told me, and she said, I'm not practicing uh, her, the religion that she was practicing. I was raised that way, and I just, I just have lots of questions, and I've been looking for somebody to talk to. I said, did it ever cross your mind today that you found the guy that you need to talk to? Wow. She said, yeah, it, it has. I huh. said, well, we need to sit down and talk. And so I, I converted her. She was, she, uh, and she was living with a guy. I converted him because I told her she, she was about to leave him because she knew it wasn't right. And, and so I converted him. And, uh, so that's, that's one of my favorite stories is, you know, that morning I hear I was sitting in my office, not intending to do anything, but I had remembered a story that Sewell Hall had told uh, about a lady praying for somebody to convert. And I had been praying that. I had been praying that. Uh, Sewell had been with us in our, one of our lectureships, and he told that story. And I started praying that. I thought, you know, and so when, you know, that doesn't mean God's just going to drop somebody in on you, but you have to look for the opportunity. Absolutely. And so when this girl came and she was at, and I could tell her interest went beyond. And so that's when I said to her, well, I'm going to ask you some questions. And I started asking her some questions. And, and I said, I'm going to drill you with some questions. And she said, okay. And so I finally led her to the fact that, uh, yeah, I need to read the Bible more. I need to do something about it. And so I said, well, why don't we just get together once a week and uh, just study? And I said, 
And so she was a hard nut to crack. She she wanted to believe in science. She wanted to do evolution, all that things. But we got finally got through, and and she was uh, also I'll tell you another little side event of that. She was in the movie. Um, I can't think about it. Runaway Bride. She oh. she was the reporter in Runaway Bride at the end, and uh, so that was her claim to fame. And then she moved off to a bigger market, and I I really feel bad that I've lost track of her. Well, you know, we've we've had this come up several times and a couple more things here. But uh, the what if, you know, uh, like you, you know, you were praying the power of prayer. We could talk about that for a long time. And I, I really do believe if we pray to God and ask for opportunities to teach, he's going to put them in our path. And we just need to pay attention to who's going by us every day. And but nice. look how easy it, it would have been so easy for you when they caught when she called you. Say, well, I'm just too busy to do that. I don't have time to do that interview. Um, or it would have been so easy for you at the end of the interview to not to to not. What if you had never said, have you ever thought about, you know, other things, spiritual things? And uh, what if you had never brought it up? You know, and, and again, that's such a powerful thing. But uh, let's talk about Judy for a second, because I've been trying to do that. I, I think our wives are. Oh, uh, and, and again, I have to be careful how to say this, but in just a lot of preachers' wives, uh, they they not appreciated enough, or people don't realize how difficult it can be. So I'm going to be involved in evangelism, and I'm going to do this. Well, uh, if you're going to do that, then Judy has to understand how that works, right? Because some people, if you're going to study with me, I work during the day. The only time I could ever study with you would be at night, which would be after hour, after work hours, or on a weekend, and. Uh, and but you were telling us a couple of things about yeah. the spaghetti dinner or something. But Judy's well, been such- that, that was in Lexington when we had the devotional for the kids, uh, you know, because we were at the university, you know, where the building was. It was located for all sure. practical purposes on the campus. And so we I saw my wife cook 10 pounds of spaghetti one night to feed all those kids. Uh, she <laughs> fed them every Thursday night. She was going to determine that they're going to get one good meal. And so we made devotional out of it. Uh, she fed anywhere from the last years we were there anywhere from 30 to 50 kids every Thursday, she fed them. Now I will tell you that in the last year that we were doing that members finally caught on, not that it was fine. They caught on and started helping us giving us money or bringing food themselves. And so it was very helpful. They, they And so, you know, I learned from something about that. We could have asked them early on and they could have gotten involved with it and it would have been good for them to have gotten involved with it. And sure. I didn't even think about that. I just put it all on my wife. The second thing I want to tell you about Judy is and I was telling you this the other day, we just moved into a new house or another house across town, closer to the, my office here. And she, we were looking at houses. She said, you know, when we move the next time, she said, I'll tell you what I would like to do. What do you think about this? She said, I want to put a sign out in our front yard and say, Bible class, everyone welcome seven o'clock on Tuesdays or Thursdays and just invite the neighborhood and just open up the house and just uh, you know, no, no obligation, nothing. Just we're going to read. We're just going to read from the book of Mark or something. And uh, uh, so she wants to, you know, and I thought, you know, how come I've never thought of that? Just put a sign out there and, and she's, you know, just put refreshments, you know, coffee and a Coke or whatever and cookies or something. And uh, just have a Bible, put it right there in the yard. yard. Now, now this serves another purpose too, to, to mention this to you. I don't think you could do that everywhere. I think you can do it down here in the South where people are very hospitable, very, I mean, we've already had neighbors come to our new house and introduce themselves. You don't get that out in most places anymore, but they've they've had two or three neighbors come introduce themselves, tell us who they are, where they lived. 
And so, you know, it's, it's a little bit different regionally from that standpoint. I don't think you could do that everywhere, nor do I think you'd want to do that everywhere uh, because of the danger situation, depending on where you live. But then there's guys like, um, you know, that are going out into the parks up in New York City, uh, Dan, that was anyway, Bunning, Don, and going out there in the park and just opening up and having class. I know a guy that's converted guy sitting at Chick-fil-A was just doing his Bible lesson where somebody said, what are you doing? And he told, they sat out. He didn't even necessarily go there to convert somebody. He just went, he just went to eat and had his Bible and had the computer open. So he right. decided what he's going to do then was have a PowerPoint presentation on how to be converted. And he would just sit there then from then on and people come on and he's, what are you doing? Well, I'm working on this lesson. You want to look at it with me and see, tell me what you think about it. <laughs> um, I thought that was great. That, yeah, that's good. That's good. So you had a well, PowerPoint presentation. That's right. Yeah. So brother, we're out of time. This 30, this 20 minutes or 25 minutes goes so fast, but if somebody wanted to reach out to you and want to get to know Bill more, would, would that be okay? And, and it, I'm assuming it yeah, would be. They send me a blank check signed. Blank check. Okay. What would be the best way to get in contact with you? That's good. Uh, you know, you can send me email at billrob1954, billrob1954 at gmail.com. Uh, you could reach out to me that way. And then I'll give you my telephone number when you reach out to me, but I don't want to put my telephone number out because I sure. don't know who's listening. I understand. I understand. All right. Well, listen, great to see you again. I'm glad uh, that you guys are doing so well. And uh, uh, hopefully sometime soon we can connect again, have coffee or get to eat or do something. But uh, we would, we would really enjoy that, but keep up your good work there. And again, we appreciate it so much, Bill, that you took the time today to, to do this interview with us. Well, I was honored to do it. And you've been a good friend for a long time. Uh, okay. Yeah. I moved to Lexington in 94. So it was shortly after that, that we met. So yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Long time ago. I might go off together. Uh, as yes. I said earlier, you almost went to work for you. <laughs> I need to tell you that story sometime. I'll tell you on the after, after show. Okay. All right. All right. Well, again, uh, tell Judy hi and uh, God bless you and keep up your good work, brother. Thank you. Thank you. Melt my heart and fill my life. Give me one soul today.